Since we've had some fun this morning at my expense, I must say, with the whole Ohio State-Purdue thing, you might be interested to know the last time I was actually in your community, uh, I was traveling, I was a ministry director for Athletes in Action Basketball. We used to play Purdue every year in the preseason. And it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever witnessed in the sport of basketball. We were playing and um, Coach Katie comes out, really walks right out on the floor because he saw what was happening. Because we're, we're a traveling team and the referees would never see us again uh, the rest of the season, a lot of times the calls woefully went against us. And Coach Katie actually saw that and he was just put out by the whole thing and he walks out on the court and does something I just couldn't believe a coach would do. He said, hey, hold on, time out. I want to talk to you guys. These guys are our guests. Start blowing your whistle the right way. And I was like, wow, what a man of character to, to, to step out and do that. And then after the game, um, one of his assistants who I'd known and traveled with us on Athletes in Action uh, introduced me to Coach Katie. I walked in his office and he sat down and we just talked like we were, uh, like I was an old friend of his. And I thought, wow. This guy, I think, passed the Jesus test. He's a friend of sinners. <laughs> well, I mentioned earlier in the morning that I could have been introduced this morning as a recovering evangelist. And some people often ask me, when did your recovery start? My recovery started when someone challenged me with the idea of learning how to listen people into the kingdom of God. Uh, I was taught to... Uh, Proclaim. I was, uh, uh, you know, apologetics and different things were my thing. And when someone challenged me to offer my ears to God by listening, for heaven's sake, it really revolutionized um, the way um, I began to engage other people. We are actually encouraged in James 1.19 to be quick to listen and slow to speak. How many of you, though, would be willing to admit today that your spiritual gift is being quick to speak and slow to listen? <laughs> Pay attention during the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes because I think you're going to find this to be really helpful. Gary Poole uh, one time uh, was, for a long time, served as the evangelism uh, leader at Willow Creek, said this, and he's a friend of mine, he said, we, it's time we learn how to listen people into God's kingdom. And I think uh, we're given this idea in Philippians 2.3 that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above ourselves. One of the greatest things we can do to increase the quantity and the quality of our spiritual conversations is to shut up and just listen for heaven's sake. Uh, that is one of the greatest ways to, uh, in humility, value others above ourselves, to put the spotlight of the conversation upon them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. Now, candidly, how can we know where someone's at on the football field, where they're at in relationship to God, unless we hear their story and we listen to them? If we're not listening to them, how can we be wise towards outsiders? Now, if you want to see a picture of me back in the day, I showed up in 1983 uh, as an Athletes in Action staff member, and I was told to start the Ministry of Athletes in Action at the University of Tennessee. 
And uh, here's a picture of what you would have seen uh, from me back in those days. It's a great representation of how I did uh, my work in the ministry for the first 12 years. Hello, man. My name is Elder Farnsworth. This is Elder Davis, and we're missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We've come to share a special message with you about Christ. Oh, I'm not a member of your church. I'm a member of an evangelical church, and I'm already saved. We're sharing the message of the Book of Mormon, and that Jesus Christ actually visited the people in the Americas. We know the Book of Mormon is true. Oh, I believe Jesus is my friend. He's my savior, and he's my healer, but he's not my brother. We believe the Book of Mormon to be another testament of Jesus Christ. Oh, I believe in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, all one. We believe that through the Holy Ghost, you can know the truth of I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe God has restored his priesthood to the earth through Peter, James, and John. It says in Ephesians that we are saved by grace alone and not works. We believe faith without works is dead. <laughs> Anybody ever been there and done that? Kind of been into one of these, you know, back and forth things? I mean, holy mackerel. Wouldn't it be awesome right now if we could just, I, I would just love to go to Washington, D.C. And, and Capitol Hill get our political leaders to sit down and say, hey, listen, we're not going anywhere as a nation until we start listening to one another. You're just yelling across the aisle at one another, and you really aren't hearing what each other are saying, and you're not showing respect to one another. And that's why I think there's such a polarization in our culture. We don't know how to have conversations with convicted civility, and part of that is we are too many times quick to speak and slow to listen. I think people are starved today for an ear that will just listen for heaven's sake. And this next quote by Stephen Covey just nails me because I think for the first 12 years in the ministry, this is the, the kind of listening I did. He said, most of us do not listen with the intent to understand. We listen with the intent to reply. I felt like a good lawyer. What I was doing is I was listening, but ultimately I was listening so that I could shred their worldview and the way they looked at things and show them why they were wrong and I was right. And what I didn't realize is, as I was doing that, I wasn't creating God space. In fact, uh, what I was doing was creating an us-them showdown. And I kind of prided myself in, for, for several years, at least, as I traveled with Josh McDowell. I felt like in apologetics, I could like bring on the Mormons, bring on the JWs, bring on the atheists, Bring them on. Come one, come all. You get in the ring with me, I'm going to shred your worldview and show you that you're stupid, I'm smart, and sooner or later you're just going to cave in and look up and say, Doug, we want to know where you get such great wisdom. And they're going to come to Christ on the spot. <laughs> it just never worked. I never argued anybody into the kingdom. I sure tried. I had a moment. It was an epiphany, and I still remember it. Uh, where uh, I did what I call a sniff test. You might wonder, what is a sniff test? Well, um, in Cincinnati, we have a company called Procter & Gamble. And there is a lady, there are ladies who actually show up and do this job. Somebody has to sniff armpits to determine whether, oh, I know it's gross, but they have to do it to determine whether or not the underarm deodorant actually works. And you might wonder, why are you telling us this? 
because I don't think I'm stretching the Bible much to say that doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to give off the sweet aroma of Christ? That sometimes we aren't aware of how we're coming across to others. So here's what happened. I flew into Denver, and I was uh, invited out there to speak to one of the largest churches in Colorado, a church of 7,500, and I was making my way from the airport uh, in a rental to my rental car uh, through the shuttle bus, and there was one young man who apparently was a grad student, and he was the only guy on the bus, so I struck up a conversation with him, found out that he was, he was just coming back for the holidays right before Thanksgiving to uh, hang out with his family. He'd been overseas studying. And as we got to the rental car uh, counter, I started to listen, overhear his conversation, and it wasn't going very well. Because while he was overseas, his driver's license had expired. And they weren't going to give him a rental car, and I just felt like, you know, the Holy Spirit's tapping his shoulder, hey, Doug, why don't you offer him a ride? And so I did. And he was really taken back by my act of kindness. He says, you mean you do this for me? And I said, sure, why not? And he jumps in, and the first thing he says to me is, hey, Doug, what do you do for a living? Now, when your title is, one of my titles, is the Evangelism Trainer for Athletes in Action, let me tell you, that title does not get me invited to a whole lot of parties. <laughs> I often joke around and say, when I'm traveling overseas, I'm going to New Zealand in April to do a national speaking tour there, and you get kind of exhausted after doing something like that. You get on the flight on the way back home, and somebody says, what do you do for a living? All you got to do is look at him and go, I'm a flaming evangelist. <laughs> and the conversation's over and you can go back to sleep. <laughs> I decided not to lead with that card because in Colossians 4, 5, we're told to be wise towards outsiders. So instead I said, well, I'm an author and speaker. And I just dropped it at that. And he said, well, what do you write about? And I said, well, you could actually help me. And he's like, really? How could I help you? And, and here is the question I ask him in that moment. I, I performed what I call a sniff test. I said, if I invited you to go along with me down to this large church in Colorado Springs, and I gave you 20 to 30 minutes to stand up on the stage with me and tell those, that group of Christians what not to do to have a spiritual conversation with you, what would you tell them? It was electric. It was like this young man had been waiting his whole life to answer this one question. <laughs> He immediately hit that question like a shark hitting tuna. He was all over it. He said, you know what I would tell that group of people? And I said, no. He said, I'd tell them this. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And I said, well, it sounds like then maybe in most of your conversations with Christians, you feel like Christians do most of the talking. And he goes, yeah. He said, where do they get off? I mean, every time I'm around Christians, they want to preach and they want to try to convert me to their point of view. And he goes, you know what they don't get? The whole time they're talking, I've already made up my mind. I don't want what you have because I don't want to become rude and disrespectful like you. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, boom. He didn't realize it, that God was actually using him to save me because I realized that I was not a, a quick to listen kind of a Christian worker. I was quick to speak. And uh, as I listened to this young man talk about his conversations, um, it became very clear to me that he'd been put off by Christians simply because we don't listen very well sometimes. So I thought, hey, how about a listening test here this morning? 
Uh, I've already offered you two tests in other areas. We're going to take one here on the area of listening. Because I really believe the quality of your listening skills powerfully affects your potential to create God space. In a moment, I'm going to put up 10 statements on the screen. And uh, I'd like you to consider, uh, as you work your way through them, you know, count how many yeses uh, when you look through the 10. And uh, I'm going to be watching the audience because I know that some of you are sitting next to your spouses. And I want you to, 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 to understand that this is your listening test. This is not about you elbowing your spouse and like, I sure hope you finally get this. <laughs> so here we go. Um, let's just assume this is a class and it's a pop quiz at, at Purdue. Here we go. Ten questions. Ready, set, go. In a moment, I'm going to ask you how many yeses you had on this test, but as I'm standing up here, I'm doing some listening, and something's going on out there. We don't know what it is. Let's just stop and pray. Let's all pray. Let's ask God to show up in whatever is happening here in your community. Lord, nothing down here surprises you. Your eyes range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to you, and you see what's going on, and we just heard the sirens. Would you just give those people who've committed their lives to step into situations uh, like they do uh, so selflessly that you, you strengthen them for whatever the need of the hour and the moment is and that you would show up there in ways that uh, those who are there would know that uh, you're with them in this situation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's say, uh, you know, in regards to this test, three or more yeses and you flunked the test. How many of you flunked the test this morning? Yike. Well, that actually isn't very unusual. Um, actually, it's very unusual for someone not to flunk the test. And I've kind of formulated a holy hypothesis as to why so many people flunk this test. My first thought is this. Maybe like a lot of, uh, you know, maybe like me, a lot of you grew up, you never had a listening class in high school. You never had one in college. Uh, I went on to grad school at supposedly the Harvard of the Midwest, Miami of Ohio, they like to call it there. And uh, I never got a class there on listening. And, and then I went to seminary. And you would think in seminary, surely if you were going to work with people the rest of your life, you would have a class on listening. But I must not have been listening because it didn't happen for me. I don't remember a class there on listening. And then... Um, my wife and I got married at College Hill Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, and um, you would think in our premarital counseling, how in the world can Mars and Venus come together unless, you know, opposite planets, unless we actually listen to one another? But that didn't happen there either. And so I think there's this fundamental belief in our culture that if auditorily you can hear noise and you can hear words that you can listen. And listening requires a lot of intentionality. And when I read this book called Listening for Heaven's Sake, my world got rocked. I realized I was a horrible listener. Not only did I flunk the test, I just realized that I was so quick to speak and, and so slow to listen. And I began to talk to God about that and ask God to make me a quick-to-listen leader. And the kind of guy who, instead of always sharing what I think needs to be shared, that I would stop and just listen for heaven's sakes. And I saw 
this amazing difference in the conversations I was having with people. So many times people would say, wow, this is like one of the best conversations I've ever had. Can we do this again sometime? And I think part of it was because there's something unique about listening. There's nothing that probably makes someone feel loved faster than to be listened to. I'm not trying to jab here at us guys, but I mean, this is guys, isn't this why our wives and say, I, you know, how many of you heard this one before? I, you know, and I didn't ask you to try and fix it. I didn't ask for your, I just want you to listen to me. Am I the only guy that's ever had that happen to them? <laughs> Maybe it's my issue, I don't know. But I think what you're asking for, ladies, is hey, I, I just want you to respect me. I want you to seek to understand me. I want you to crawl into, if it's your emotional mud puddle at the moment, and just be with me in that moment. I, I just want to be heard. And uh, there's so much power, this idea of listening to others. So here's a faith adventure challenge for you uh, to kind of mo move out on this idea. First of all, it's a very small and short verse. Hey, memorize John 119b, James 119b, that everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and let the Holy Spirit begin to work on your heart. Number two, uh, this is a practical idea this week. Offer to buy someone a cup of coffee or take someone out to lunch this week and just ask to hear their story. I think one of the most important things we can do in our neighborhoods, on our routes, where we work with people, is just hear people's story and keep the spotlight off of ourselves. So like, tell me, how, how long have you lived here in West Lafayette? What caused you to move here? What do you like about this community? What causes you to stay here? I just wanna hear your story. Everyone has a story. And let me say, in a, in a culture that is, I think, become weary of words, words, and more words, people are starved for someone who just listened to them. And let me say, as an aside, I didn't intend to say this, but let me say, as someone who goes in and out of a lot of churches and spent a lot of my life in church, a lot of times I'm starved just in the church to be listened to. That often what I get from Christians when I have a problem or I've got you know, some physical ailment is, you know, oh, I get the bumper stickers, Romans 8, 28. Hey, God causes all things to work together for good, brother. Praise the Lord. They just put a bumper sticker on it. Or, you know, I'll pray for you when they haven't even really taken the time to hear what's going on. And sometimes they say, uh, mental health experts say that 85% of people's mental problems could be resolved if they just had someone to listen to them graciously and uh, just heard their story. Just let them have enough dignity to say, hey, your story matters, and, and I want to understand it. I sense that a lot of you did flunk the listening test, and if you want to uh, kind of enter in just like I did, uh, I, I'd encourage you, I, I actually bring this book along with me. I didn't write it. I know the three authors, but I make it available to people because apart from the Bible, I'd have to say the second most significant book in terms of influencing my life in terms of day-to-day -day would be this book on listening, listening for heaven's sake. 
And so maybe this morning another uh, faith act, faith adventure challenge would be for you just to pick up a copy afterwards uh, back there and uh, buy a copy and start reading it and ask God to do in, in you what he did in me. The next area that we're going to talk about this morning is, is offering our curiosity to God by learning how to wonder into others' lives. And here's the big thought for you as we enter into this. If the people in your life are not ready for the answers you'd like to share with them, and, and wouldn't we not agree that that is most of the time the case, that if more people were ready for answers, they'd be flooding our churches for the answers that we'd like to share with them. They'd be coming to our Bible studies in the droves because we have answers. And I think in some ways, I was taught to be an answer person. And what I've learned is if I want to increase the quantity and the quality of my spiritual conversations, I need to befriend the question mark. I need to get better at asking the kinds of questions that get people to think in ways they've never thought before. Doesn't it seem to you to be wiser if people aren't ready to hear your answers that you'd be better off to show up with questions instead? There's so much power in the question mark. Listen to a friend of mine as he talks about this. When I read the Bible, I see a God who is totally comfortable with questions. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve eat from the tree they're not supposed to, God doesn't accuse them, destroy them, or lecture them. Instead, he asks them questions. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? What is this you have done? God knows the answers to all these questions. He's all-knowing. He's not going to discover anything new from what Adam and Eve tell him. But he asks the questions anyway. No one really knows why he asks. But I think he wants Adam and Eve to discover the answers for themselves. Jesus follows this same pattern. When he approaches people who are spiritually confused or struggling with what they believe, he asks them questions. When Jesus runs into the woman at the well, he asks her, will you give me a drink? When he runs into the blind guy along the road who's been blind from birth, he asks him, what do you want from me? To the man at the sheep gate who's been crippled for 38 years and can't get in the water, do you want to get better? Jesus seems most comfortable when he's asking questions. But today, we as followers seem least comfortable when we're asking them. We're more about answers. At best, we treat questions like they're unimportant. At worst, we treat them like they're dangerous. Well, let's be fair about this conversation. I mean, we are told to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. But if you look at the next phrase, and I must have cut this one out of my Bible for a good period of time. It says, to anyone who asks you. I often was giving people answers to questions they weren't even asking because I was so zealous about sharing my faith with other people. And, and if you stop and think about it, it's really kind of crazy, isn't it, that Jesus asked anyone questions? Because he already knew the answers. The Bible says he knew the heart of everyone. So think if Jesus were teaching here today and he just started asking some random questions and, and, and you raise your hand to answer his question and, and he just look out and go, that, that's all right, I already know what you're, I know what you're, I know what you're gonna say. I know what you're gonna say too. And quite honestly, that's pretty scary. Now, I don't know why you're laughing, because it's pretty scary when I think about you, too. 
and you and you, and I already know what's going on in your heart. Why would I even need to ask a question? And, and this is just a holy, uh, again, a holy hypothesis. The Bible doesn't give us answers to this. But I think in some ways this quote to pass, by Pasquale, Pascal uh, maybe gives us an answer to this, that Jesus understood something, that people, because he was there when the Father and the Spirit created us in his image, are generally better persuaded by the reasons which they themselves discovered than by those that have come into the mind of, have come into the mind of others. There's something powerful when people discovers, uh, discover the truth for themselves. And so in my book, I have a whole chapter committed to what I call wondering. And uh, I think God has put wonder in all of us. If you've lost your sense of wonder, get around a five-year-old sometime. They will wonder you to death. But I re remember earlier we said, Robbie Zacharias says, we've got to find the back door into people's hearts. I think learning how to ask the right questions and wonder and offer our curiosity to God is that back door into people's hearts. Um, wondering draws others to places where new answers can be found. Wondering releases control and places the listener in the driver's seat. It turns the focus back where it belongs, on the people with whom we desire to connect. Something remarkable happened to people when Jesus, the self-proclaimed answer, began asking questions. Over 150 of them are recorded in the Gospels. He invited others to participate in the activity of discovery, to take hold of the truth for themselves. His questions invited listeners to embark on a search, candle in hand, rummaging through the attic of their minds for the adequate answer. His questions were decisively clarifying. They peeled back layer after layer of what appeared to be the real issues to reveal the heart of the matter. Hey, a lot of you work, uh, you know, at the university. We've all been taught, right, that Socrates once said, an unexamined life is not worth living. I would submit to you as a Christian that an unexamined worldview is not worth holding on to. That there are all kinds of people over there on the campus who've never been challenged to say, hey, what's the basis for your belief? You know, you say you believe this. What's the basis for that? And do that respectfully. A lot of people have never thought through why they believe what they believe, and they've never been challenged. And I think too many times we as Christians are always on the defense. We're always backpedaling when I think um, we actually have a basis for belief. Now, sometimes I don't know that we've always thought through that the best that we could, but uh, we certainly have a basis for our belief. Here are some examples. In the back of my book, I have 99 what I call wondering questions. And, uh, and, I, and here's my big belief, and I, I, I've seen this to be true. We're often just one good question away from a significant spiritual conversation. The, the, the question, if you would, kind of picks the lock and opens the door and creates that space for that conversation to start naturally. And it flows out of the listening that we're doing. Probably, if, you know, people often want to say, what's your go-to question? And I say, well, I don't have a go-to question because that's kind of very agenda-driven. But I would say that if there was one question that I find myself tucking away in many of my conversations, it would be the last one. I'm wondering if you've ever met anyone or experienced anything that made God seem more real to you. 
If we really believe what the scriptures say, that God is drawing people to himself, then we can expect that in someone's life journey that maybe they can point to some things along the way. They might know it, not know that it's God that has been the one that's doing the knocking. It was a knock-knock moment. And maybe our job is to show up and join God in the conversation and maybe help uh, them understand that maybe that was God reaching out to you. For this particular area, um, I would invite you as a Faith Adventure Challenge to enter the link that you see listed there below into your web browser and download the 99 Wondering Questions in the back of my book. Or you can buy a copy of my book and you'll have them there. But hey, in the next week, why don't you peruse through those 99 questions and find one that you feel like fits for the person you have on your mind that's on your route that you would like to engage. And fly the question over a cup of coffee and just see what happens. Uh, the web, the, the uh, link there is godsgps, G-O-D-S-G-P-S dot com slash 99 questions. And you can actually download those uh, there.